In the shadow of the most powerful city in the world, the Capital Golf Gang is on the air with instructor John Ronis from the Ronis Academy at River Creek, executive director of the Middle Atlantic PGA, John Gould, and former University of Maryland golfer, Ron Thomas. And now your host from Afternoon Drive on the Team 980 Radio in Washington, D.C., Steve Zabin. The last of the glorious summer days are upon us, kids, as it is hot, hot, hot in late August, and the tour has come to town, asterisk, to Maryland. It's close enough. Everyone's going to the BMW Championship, and Caves Valley is putting on a show right now. Welcome aboard, Capital Golf Gang, presented by Golfdom, plausibly live from the fitting bay, the main fitting bay here at Golfdom Golf in Tyson's Corner. The usual cast of suspects almost all here. Ron Thomas is here. Buddy Christensen, owner of Golfdom, is here. He has become quite the regular fill-in. Thank you, buddy. Sure. Appreciate that. And we welcome Michael Muir to the program, former Duke Blue Devil and a guy who made 74 PGA Tour starts. Is that right, Michael? Apparently. Apparently. We went deep into the archives for that Very number. nice. Ronnie, you know. I Michael do. Muir. How about a little golf clap? Yep, Mike is a, Mike's a longtime friend, and we're happy to have him on the show. And second appearance on the show. You remember, Mike, when the show was at the studios in Rockville. That's right. You came on then. And you're wondering why so long between invites, right? Yeah, I mean, a lot's happened since then. We haven't had the budget. We've been saving a little bit every week. We finally have enough money for you. a lot for the America's Uh, guest, right? I think you you finally hit, what, a couple thousand uh, listeners? Yeah, exactly. That was the threshold. (laughs) Muir said, look, if you don't have a thousand listeners, I'm not coming on. I'm not wasting Uh, my time. All right, so we got a lot to talk about today, including the tour coming to town and everything else. Ron, were you at Caves Valley on Thursday? I was, yep. Can you give me a quick report? Uh, yeah, hot. it was hot, but besides that, I mean, those guys are used to that. It's, uh, how do I say this? It's a good golf course. It's a neat golf course. It's soft. It's always been soft. They've dealt with that for for a long time. They've tried to put new greens in, new sod. Um, they're going to eat it up. I think only what six guys were over par yesterday. It's yeah. incredibly hilly, but the infrastructure was the most impressive part for me the build-out of the infrastructure, and actually what was most impressive for me was every single group. You'd be like, all right, who's on the tee? And you'd wait, and then they'd come up. You'd be like, oh, Matsuyama. Oh, the next group. It would be like, oh, oh yeah. Mickelson. It's every- all meat, well, the, as I like to and, say. And my favorite group, the one I followed probably the longest, was Sergio, Lee Westwood, and Van Royen, I think his name Eric is. Eric Van Royen, who was and, a top the leaderboard guy who smashed a team marker at the PGA. Right, and there was only about 10 people following that group. So I was wow. up close and personal, and um, literally every group was, uh, was marquee. And, um, well, that's the beauty of it. I mean, this is a rare event that they would get the second leg of the FedEx Cup playoffs. Buddy, do you know why this has this wrinkle has happened? As far as being Getting, played at Caves? Yes. I heard that there is um, an executive with BMW that, that's a member at Caves. Or there's some connection there with okay. BMW coming to Caves because it's going back to... Chicago? Yeah, Olympia year? Fields. And, right. then, and then I heard it may be coming back here again. It's just what I've heard okay. out there. I'm not positive on any of that. Okay. But. Uh, Michael, I'm sure you've played Caves. I have played Caves. And what are times. your thoughts of it? I think it's great. It's As Ron said, they've gradually improved the golf course over the last 15 or 20 years since I first played it. But as far as the facilities go, it's 
it might be the nicest in the country between the, you know, the locker rooms and the clubhouse and the food and the just the ambiance. The that, cottages. Yeah, that Dennis Satisher has run it since day one. He's a former Duke golfer and Duke quarterback. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, and he's been the head pro, director of golf, general manager, whatever the role is. But he, it's his show, and he puts a, a good one on up there. It's just a spectacular visit if you have the opportunity to, to go there. You wouldn't know where it is unless you had directions and a good GPS. It's kind of in the middle of the woods there. The best way to get there if you're going off the uh, Beltway up north is 695 Beltways. You go Park Heights Ave straight out, and it takes you right yeah, there. Yeah. The parking is across the street in a big field, right? Yeah, it was easy. So yeah. you didn't have to shuttle bus in? Uh, if you have a good parking pass, you don't shuttle in. But there is a shuttle lot to bring in. Yes. Okay. So it's a tour event that comes to town, which we haven't had a regular tour event now for a while. We've been off and on, hit or miss, ever since I think the last one at Avenel around 2018, I want to say. Does that sound about right? 17, 18 sounds yeah. right. So here's the key question. Why don't we have our own bona fide, it's here every year, PGA Tour stop, the nation's capital? I can tell you. I was going to say, for time's sp- sake, I'm going to defer to Michael Can I on speak this? out of turn? Uh, because, there is no turns on this show. Because the, when you want to be in D.C., it's in the fall. And the tour schedule, they've, over the last 10 years or whatever long it was ago, they, they moved all those events to the summer and the spring because it, it just can't compete with football. Right, And you want to be in D.C. in September and October when the golf courses are great. As Ron said, they're just soft, it's hot, and it's hard to conduct a, a, an event that gets the top players to come to D.C. in June, July, and August. Uh, they did it for Tiger's event in June. But it was a heavy push to get It was guys. a heavy push, and I think Tiger really leaned on guys to come play in the event. Otherwise, they would not have been here in, in late June or early July. It's just right. a tough time to, to... Well, what about late May? Where and the first week of June, where the Kemper used to sit. Well, we're going to have next year the Wells Fargo here. Yes, which that is in May, I believe. Yes, right? next year we're going to have that. That's going to be great, but then it's gone. Right. Mm-hmm. So I guess getting those prime late May, early June before it gets too nasty dates are really in high demand, right? For a lot of markets, high demand, and, and frankly, there's only three or four venues in DC that can host a, a an event. With those, uh, you know, that level of play. Avenel, Congo, T- R- uh, RTJ, Caves. Is that it? Caves and Trump. And Trump? Yep. Trump could do it, huh? Oh, yeah. It held the senior PGA. Oh, yeah. But limited fans. I mean, it, that's, of course, tucked away in and amongst condos and houses and everything else off of Route 7. Yeah, but it's the biggest golf course of all five in terms of length and size. Okay. And uh, they do have a, a second golf course. So structurally, they could pull it off. Um, it's just a matter of yeah, getting people in and out of there. There's a two-lane road kind of in and yeah. out. So that's probably the biggest challenge. But as far as you know, a venue, it, it could absolutely host something, something big. I always said a, a, a Ryder Cup would be perfect because it's in October. You'd have 20,000 fans out there, and it's right on the river. It would be spectacular. And yeah. full transparency, Michael is a member there. And when Michael played on tour from about, what, 99 to 2003 or so, mm-hmm. Uh, they were that was his host course as all Got tour it. plays or his home course I should say but um, and Mike uh, you know Trump National talk about a course that's gone through some wonderful improvements I, I know we're not we're not I'm not necessarily changing the subject but I mean that place has changed tremendously yeah Alex Boyle who ran the, the club for Chevy Chase Bank he had played golf at Yale and was just a great guy and he really uh, brought it you know out of the ground when they took ownership of it from the original developer that went uh, that went bankrupt but 
he developed it, built the second golf course, and when he came out to see it after Trump had, you know, taken down all the trees and exposed the Potomac River, he just couldn't believe yeah. what he was able to do. And I call it the magic dust. You know, tr- Trump comes down and, and sprinkles his magic dust, and all of a sudden there's 3,000 trees gone, and, you know, <laughs> the place has been painted. And he, that's one, you know, he can't argue with his, uh, his golf business. He's, right. he's done it really, really well. Now, he, I believe he trampled on some environmental procedures in taking those trees down. I don't think so. There was some magical, really? there was some beetle that was oh. going to take all those trees down anyway. Well, there is, a, <laughs> there is an emerald ash borer, which yeah. has been killing ash trees all over yeah. the place. Well, so the story, the story I heard was he, he told the, the superintendent and some guys, he said, hey, buy, get two, two, two chainsaws, name them Thunder and Lightning, and if anybody... That's what happened. Tell them Thunder and Lightning took them all out. <laughs> and, of course, built a waterfall, which is a spectacular feature that is the backdrop for many a wedding and event out there. And I heard, Michael, that apparently they put it in backwards. They did. He, 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 <laughs> I told you. He told them to put it concave around the green. Well, the, the practice green sat about 100 feet above it. And the guys that came down and did it, they came down from New York. They were stone guys. And they, they wrapped it around the putting green up top instead of around the back of the 18th green. Oh, no. Oh. So it was completely backwards. And he, he struggled with whether he should take it out or take, you know, leave it in. And, <laughs> and, uh, we, this, we, by the way, for anyone who's not been or seen it, is a, what, 70-foot stone waterfall feature? Yeah. Looking at least 50 feet tall. Yeah, it's, it's massive. massive. It's You'd massive. die if you fell off it. But, yeah, and it overlooks the 18th green, and it's convex. Not concave. It doesn't wrap around and hug the 18th green. It's the other way around. However, I've been told that after he thought about it, he's like, you know what? It's perfect. It's fantastic. Well, it's wedding venue. I mean, it's great for the wedding pictures. He actually wrote a letter and said, I'd like you to refer to it as a water feature because it it fits like a glove. (laughs) And and so we all accepted it and moved on. Very good. Anyway, we'll uh, we'll talk more about uh, the time you as a member actually got to meet Trump and play with him well before he became president. That mm-hmm. was a memorable exchange. We'll talk about that in a bit. Who did you follow? Uh, you said you followed basically Sergio, Westwood, uh, and Van Royen with 10 other people out there? I went to the first tee, and I watched DeChambeau hit driver on number one into the bunker, 337. Is one – I get confused. Is one mm-hmm. in the woods? Because they have us go off 10 a lot when I go up there. One's just the straightaway – just a little downhill down. near the cottages. Yes, okay, yeah. Uh, no, that's ten down here. Downhill near the cottages. One heads out, Michael. You can attest to this. It's got the bunkering on the right. Short hole. Ten is way is more downhill, if I'm correct. But anyway, so number one, ten is an iron off the tee, even yes. for amateurs, right, buddy? I've never played. You haven't. I haven't played. Well, I've, had, I've had two invites that got both got rained out, and then we didn't reschedule. Number one is an iron off the tee. They all went off, off number one yesterday. It's an iron off the tee. Anyway, Bryson hits driver. He okay. was playing with Jordan Spieth, and uh, the third player was Harris English. So okay. we watched them hit. Then right behind them was uh, a great group: Morikawa, Justin Thomas. It was just one, and then after that was Westwood. Sergio, so right there, I had what I needed, and I, I've only watched Phil hit a couple hit balls once or twice in person or shots, and I wanted to follow Phil. Phil was struggling with the heat yesterday. You could see that on Thursday. You could see so that. So you went uh, you went hole by hole and walked and and watched one, two, three, four, and then headed back up to. Okay. I was in the BMW owners pavilion. Oh, very nice. <laughs> so. mm-hmm. I, I remember the days of. 
at Avenel at the you know the the Kemper Open finding a guy or two on a Thursday or Friday that I just wanted to see. He may not have been a big star, but you knew you could get up close and just watch him. And I just soaked up every little thing that they did. Well, you know? it, it, I'm going to get involved, Michael, in this conversation. Um, you know, Mike, you know this as a former tour player who had two top ten finishes, I believe, in 2001. You mm-hmm. nearly won the Nissan at L.A. Country Club, or is it Riviera? Was it Riviera? I'm sorry, yeah. Riviera. You were leading going into, I think, maybe the 14th hole. Is that right? On yeah, Sunday. Th- through 10 or 11, I was leading. Okay. But. And uh, and then you did well, I think, up in Canada one year. You, so you had two top tens. You earned a little bit over 500000 in your career. And it was cut short, of course, by your by melanoma, a melanoma diagnosis, um, which ended your promising career. But, Mike, as a former tour player, do you have any idea now just how much you guys are admired and revered when you're out on that golf course like I was revering these guys yesterday I, I had a little dis- different perspective for, uh, you know I was typically really early off the tee on Thursday morning um, <laughs> but on weekends you know if I was playing well in contention it was it was always a you know a, a privilege and a, and a you know a lot of fun just to play in, in front of the people and and uh, try to perform for them so um, yeah it's really it's really fun and and uh, you know you, you feed off the energy uh, a couple times I played um, once with Tiger and a couple times right behind him and right at, uh, ahead of him. When did you compete with Tiger? That was in 2001 and 2002. So I played a full season in 01. Finished, at w- what event were you paired with him? Uh, I think it was Las Colinas and, uh, you know, the Byron Nelson. Um, but playing in front of him was far more difficult than playing with him. Because? Because the people, you know, he had he captured 80% of the people that were on property yeah. were following him. And so as soon as they knew that he was ready to tap out, they were on the move to try to get a spot, and they are running ahead. And so the group ahead was getting stampeded <laughs> by 20,000 people trying to get a spot where they can, you know, get a glimpse of them on the next hole. So that was the worst spot on the golf course, one yeah. group ahead of Tiger. Was playing with him fascinating it's in great. its own way. He, he, was, he was great. I mean, he was really personable, and, you know, he treated me just like he would have treated uh, anybody else. So it was, it was great, and um, – yeah, you know, one is the peak of his powers, peak of his yeah. superpowers. It absolutely was. I mean, he was just so dumb. He probably won nine times that year or something yeah. like that, seven or, seven or nine Did times. Did you watch him hit shots and say to yourself, my God, I am not in that stratosphere? Yes. There were, there were a bunch of guys like that, though. I mean, he was one of them. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. There were, who, there else were, there were, who else awed you? So you like, when you walk, I always sit, tell people when you go to a tour event like Ron did the other day at the BMW, the best spot to hang out is on the driving range. You don't even have to leave the range. You just watch these guys go up and down the range and their tempo and the way they strike the ball and their consistency. And you just watch the routine as they, as they warm up or as they practice. Um, but, and they're all like robots. You know, they, they all play a little draw or some guys play a little fade. But then you come across probably eight or ten guys that are just different. And it's different. The, Bryson, way the, ball, the, sound of the Yeah, the sound of the ball coming off. And the way it comes off is okay. just different. And in my, in my period, Lucas Glover was just coming on the scene. He was one. Um, he was just an animal. He has hands like a gorilla, and he, and <laughs> he just absolutely murders the ball. Um, but he was uh, – there was a kid, Chris Smith, who played at Ohio State. Ron yeah. Thomas definitely knows my him. My dear from, friend. My dear friend. From Indiana. and uh, Compressed it. He, I mean, he could really hit a golf ball. He couldn't 
really putt it. He won the tour. He won the tour event at Westchester, uh, the Buick Classic. Oh. Uh, one he year. won three times on the Corn Ferry back then, whatever it's called, to get that uh, yeah battlefield that, promotion. Yeah, battlefield promotion. But there were just guys out there that that when you when you were playing with them, it was kind of it was it was uh, it was tough because you just felt like it was going to be really hard to beat that guy over four days. So the guys that Mike was close to, I know this. He was very close with J. He still is with J.J. Henry. Very close with Lucas Glover. Very close with Joe Ogilvy. Mm-hmm. Is that accurate? Yeah, he was a college teammate of mine for two yep. years. Yeah. Um, the, the, these are guys that not only played for a long time on tour, and uh, Brett Quigley. Yep. Brett Quigley is now on the senior tour, and he, I think he won an event. But these were the guys that actually went on and ran, or they became the advisors, the tour advisor board guys player advisory group player advisory group so mike was in with these guys who were just solid solid players but solid human beings and i was lucky i got to be at a couple of events with mike a couple halloween parties with these guys but they're just as down to earth as can be and uh being out there yesterday watching the admiration the adoration that these spectators had for these players it's remarkable and it made me go home and practice. I got home at 7, and I went nice. straight to the range. Went to go good. grind. I had to remind it. myself how shitty my swing he, is. He needed it. <laughs> Thanks for that edit. Now oh, i gotta, Now i got to go in there and take that out. <laughs> Ronnie the Potty Mouth. All right, coming up, we'll uh, talk about the time Michael met a guy who would end up being president, and he said to him, BS, nobody's a plus five, and then he showed him a little something-something. Also about... Some tips about melanoma. We're all out in the sun. Ronnie, you are red as can be. You've got a full summer of sun on you. So we'll talk about that, plus more from the BMW Championship as we continue on special edition of the Capital Golf Gang presented by Golfdom here in Tyson's Corner. You are listening to the Capital Golf Gang. Four guys who have to come up with creative excuses to their wives for those grass stains on their pants. You are listening to the Capital Golf Gang. Four guys who once dreamed of becoming caddies on the PGA Tour until they found out you have to take the blame for everything. Speaking of which, we'll ask Michael about his caddy when he was on the PGA Tour. We are back. Zabe here with Ron Thomas, Buddy Christensen, and Michael Muir, who is now America's guest. The king of the cocktail circuit, as he has been dubbed on another podcast, which we can talk about. Michael played at Duke University, and uh, Ron knew him, not through competing per se, but you playing at Maryland. Kind of got to know him through Tommy Mensing, your buddy who played at Maryland after you. No, so, he was my teammate. Teammate, actually, he, sorry. Yeah, yeah, and he was Mike's caddy. Oh, he was? Okay, on tour. Mm-hmm. He was. All he right, was. let's talk Let's talk about that since the rejoin says. I don't know. I signed NDA way back oh. 20 years ago. I cannot reveal what was going on back then. Uh. Uh, was, it, was it mostly good times between you two? Was, was there any tense moments? No, it was all great. Okay. Tommy was the best. He's the, one of the funniest guys I know, and, and Ron would attest to that, and, which was a perfect caddy. He was obviously a great player, having played in college, but just a great you know guy to spend 10 hours a day with, which is what it's like when, you, when you're out there from – sun up to sundown so yeah beautiful so anyway once upon a time about 10 years before donald trump would run for president he bought lowe's island golf club trump being a very avid uh golfer and a guy who has bought properties worldwide and has really shined them up and operated them at a different level 
he buys Lowe's Island, which is this, what well, at the time was a very nice club, I thought, in Sterling, Virginia, not far from where I used to live. But he came in with a vision, and he came in with the usual Trump uh, bravado. And I hear legendary stories, Michael, about the first member meeting when he took over. And it was like, here's what we're going to do. If you don't like it, there's the door. We're going to increase dues to this. If you don't like it, there's the door. You can't have your own golf carts, but you can rent them from me. If you don't like it, here's the door. On down the list, right? Spot on. And then one day, he was there for a site visit and around, and he's like asking, okay, who's a good player around here? And he gets to you. And you say, I'm a plus five. Well, it, it didn't actually, it was actually at that meeting where he's telling everybody to hit the door, hit oh. the bricks, that we're going to be better in congressional. And somebody says, well, if we don't want to be, he says, well, you can hit the, hit the bricks. <laughs> and it, at which point he says, and by the way, who's the best golfer in here? And there was co-ed and, and somebody points to the, me sitting you know, down the way. And it, this is during the apprentice, you know, the height of the apprentice. So when he buys your club and comes to tell you what he's going to do with the joint, everybody yeah. shows up. There's 500 sure. people in the room. And so... Says, How did you feel about being pointed out? Well, You're whatever. Like, oh, I'm, I'm no. slumping in my chair, and, and, and he says, well, I'm going to come down. I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> I said, okay. And two months later, the pro calls and says, you know, Mr. Trump's coming down. He'd like to play with you. I've got, I've got uh, two other guys, Pete and Roe, and uh, I think Buddy knows Pete. He's the old sure. title threat, Pete Robeson. Yeah. And uh, so we're, we're, we're on the first tee, and, and he says, well, we should have a game. What's everybody's handicap? And Pete says, I'm a two. And Rose said, Ro Donda says, I'm an 11. I said, well, I'm a plus five. He says, looks at me, plus five. Bullshine. Bullshine. Nobody's a plus five. I'll take the two over there. I don't even think he remembered the guy's name, Pete. <laughs> and I proceeded. Again, I've been a member there forever, and I was, you know, wasn't freshly off the tour, but five or six years, and I birdied the first, you know, birdied one, two, three, four, five, and six, at which point. <laughs> I could just say I birdied the first six, but it's better when he no, says I birdied it one, two, good. three. So let me, let me recall. I birdied one, two, two. three, four, birdied ah. five. Oh, and I birdied six as well. Yeah. At which point, he looks at me in the cart and says, I don't know who the hell you are, but you're my partner now. Pete's out. And we had a good time going forward after Did that. Did Trump really swap out partners? Right right there. Right there. And I think he actually brought us to the back tees because we were playing the, men, the member tees and... He said, "Let's go to the let's go to the tips. We got these guys." And, and Mike, that and Mike, that wasn't the you know we're not going to go into a lot of uh, Donald Trump and talking, but that isn't the last time you played with uh, with Donald Trump. And I know you've had a lot of rounds with him, and I know there are many stories that we don't need to go into, but uh, I'm sure it was always entertaining playing with with Donald Trump. It always has been. He's he's like a giant cartoon character. He loves golf. I mean, he loves sports in general. He's he, he's played golf with so many athletes from so many different sports he he loves the game um and he's really fun to be out there with he he, uh, he appreciates the game and he he wants to be a great player he's probably not as good as he always wanted to be or thought he was but he's a very very fine player he's 75 years old yeah and uh you know he's always very kind to me and and uh gracious with me and yeah, i was fortunate to there you yeah, go. Play a lot of rounds of golf with him. Yeah. Did you say, did you say that he said you, most people don't sneak up on me, but you did? Yeah. Because yeah. you got a phone call from that from Lucas Glover on that first round. And so it was, it was the was... first Saturday after Lucas had won the Open on that Monday. They had had a Monday finish, and so this is five days later, and, and uh, Lucas is finally calling me back after five days after I talk, called to congratulate him. And I didn't even answer the phone. I just handed it over to, to, to Donald, who's sitting next to me. He says, hmm. He says, Hello. 
and and uh, it was Lucas. He says, "Who's this?" And says, "It's Lucas Glover." Well, this is Donald Trump, and they, you know, he's trying to big time Lucas, who's coming <laughs> off the open and telling him, you know. And uh, so he handed the phone back. He says, that's when he said, you know, not many guys sneak up on me, but you did. <laughs> yeah, so you snuck up on yeah. him there. All yeah. right. Um, your melanoma occurred what year? When was your diagnosis? I was about two-thirds of the way through the season of 2002. Okay. Where tour. did it emerge and what part of your body? It was on my right ankle. I had been home the prior week. And, ankle? Yeah, weird spot. And in you know, the dermatologist took a spot off and said she wasn't too concerned and then called me a week later. I remember it's one of those things you know exactly where you were when it happened, 9-11, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. And, and I was on the golf course at Scott McCarran's Pro-Am in Sacramento and I uh, got the call and she said, you got to come home immediately. And it turned out to be a lot worse than I thought it was. I was just ignorant to the disease. and Stage four. Yeah, stage four. It was in my lymph nodes moving around and <sighs> my oncologist gave me a, a 35% chance of uh, – making it past five years. Wow. I said, wow. And, she, and then, and then she, uh, he said, what do you do for a living? I said, I play golf. He says, so you're outside seven days a week. I said, well, I usually miss the cut. So I'm only out there about five, <laughs> but well, he said, well then let's make it 25%. And so that was a, a, a decision maker right there for me. It was a game changer. And I just, so even with all the sunscreen, with all of the extra layers, it was not advisable with melanoma to be out at all. Well, I could have rolled the dice. I, frankly, I, Steve, I, would have, I was a fringe player. I was really good in college, really good as an amateur. I probably peaked when I was 18. I was like the number two kid in America behind Justin Leonard. But I, I just um, I would always have been on the cusp of keeping my job that year. Right. A good year, I might have finished 60th or 70th on the money list. My first year out, I finished 121st, and that was miserable. I was watching the you know, refresh, refresh, because I'd missed the cut the last week in Jackson, Mississippi. And uh, I went into the week, I think, 118th and – was thinking, geez, am I going to fall out of the 125? It was a hard 125 back then. And if you, yeah. if you finish 126, you're, you're down the road. Yeah, exactly. So, I, I, but I, you know, finished in the 125, and and uh, it just would have been a struggle. So, making that decision to hang it up wasn't really that difficult, to be honest. So, something that I feel is important to point out, and Michael told me this, so I'll never forget it. And I've tried to carry this on and tell my son, well, I have told Winston often that. Michael was told that it could have been just one bad sunburn yeah. that he got when he was a kid yeah. at the pool. Yeah. As a kid. As a kid. They probably, that, you know, it's hard to pinpoint something like that, but it was, that's what they said. Probably a bad sunburn, you know, as a kid. And I, you know, a golfer's tan, you can, you can everybody knows their feet are white, their hands are white, their, you know, their upper body's white. And, yeah. And that's probably where I got it, where I was, uh, you know, exposed and the skin hadn't seen much uh, sun, so. So it can happen anywhere on your body. Between not your toes. Necessarily, not necessarily no. where the sun is beating Where the down. sun doesn't shine. You've got to have a, a wow. proper check. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Believe me. All right. Well, yeah. serious stuff. Well, yeah. I'm super glad. In, is everything in remission? It is. It is. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, and, and again, you know, I know Michael so well that I can tell you this, or I need to tell you this. Mike didn't just sit by and let his career end. He didn't have a choice. He left the tour. But Mike uh, developed came up with a charity called Pros Beating Cancer, and he had a tournament for many years out at Lowe's Island, Trump uh, Trump National, and it was called the uh, Capital City Classic. Yep, Capital City Charity Pro-Am. Yeah, and his he and his wife and his parents put this tournament on, and he had a lot of help from the, from the crew out at Trump, but he raised over $1 million, I think about $1.3 million, and it was always the day 
the Monday after the local tournament mm-hmm. we had here. So he had a lot guys, of big names. Yeah. Well, solid people. Yeah. Maybe not the biggest names. But I mean, good dudes. Like guys dudes like who Jason. would give the pro, the AMs a great time if they came out and donated, right? JJ Henry, uh, Jason Gore, these solid yeah. chapel, right? Kevin Jim G- McGovern and yeah, just the guys that really knew the how, the walk, right? When you when you're paying 5 or 10 grand or whatever it was to to play in one of these things and you 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 pick the highest profile guy you're usually disappointed yeah so i'd get these 20 or 23 guys that love to you know shoot the breeze and tell stories and sit, stick around for cocktails afterwards and that's what these guys want to want to hear as a you know from an amateur standpoint and what happened was is once they came one year they realized how solid the membership at trump was or the guys that were that was in, that were invited to play they realized how solid these guys were. And you develop these relationships that you carry through for many years, business relationships, staying yeah. at their place. Um, so, and, and another thing I, I have to say is Donald Trump was very supportive of this event. And if I recall, wrote a nice check each and every year to this event. Yes. Somewhere to the tune of 50000 maybe. Yeah. If I, yeah just, nice. And gave him the golf course. I mean, I'm sure he maybe had to pay for a little bit for it, but... And I was fortunate to be able to auction off a trip to the Indy 500 every year. And these guys, 12, 14, 16,000, and they'd come out wow. and I got to entertain them. And nice. these guys are now my friends for life that I yeah. was able to do yeah. this with. So my point is, is Mike is, you know, he's done something about it. Um, and it was a lot of work. Boy, it was a lot of work. <laughs> sure it is. Well, and, and I just would say that, you know, Mike talks about he, his career was over, but his amateur career that started after that <laughs> has been one of the most impressive. I'm sure we'll, we'll chat about it, but, but there are a lot of people who would take that career that he had beyond that. So it's, it's very cool that he was able to turn that into a, another level of Mike of is a success. Success. Mike is a top ranked mid amateur. Uh, as you would say, a lot a of mid amateur for those that don't know is what a guy between the age of 30 and 50, just over 25. Once you're 25, 25 you become a mid amateur. And so the, you know, the U.S. mid-amateur is coming up in three or four weeks at Sankety Head and Nantucket. The winner of the mid-amateur gets into the U.S. Open and the Masters. So Lord it's the real mercy. Yeah, did exactly. you qualify for the mid-amateur? I did, yeah. Oh, jeez. Uh, good. So how so, many, how many, I need some time on this. How many USGA championships? I'm right around 20, maybe. I had that hiatus of, you know, when I was playing professionally and then four years of not playing any golf where I didn't play in any other than those, those three Opens. But, um. How many U.S. Opens? Three. Three Shinnecock, Opens. Yeah, Shinnecock, Beth Pinehurst, Page. and Bethpage, yeah. Okay, and uh, if I recall, the Mid-Am was at up in New York, or I'm sorry, up in Pennsylvania. It's Stonehenge, is that Stone what it's called? Stonewall. Stonewall, and you made it to the... I made it to the semis, semis I think, that And year. there was an event, there was a thing that happened in that semifinal match that involved a caddy who was a father of the player picking up his son's ball. Man, you, oh. you've got a, a just a steel trap so, for a memory, this yeah, guy. Yeah, picking up his son's ball, and Michael, down the stretch with a chance to go to the finals, to go to the, to go to the Masters. I get a little emotional when I talk about this because I care so much about him, and this is the kind of human being he is. But instead of calling the penalty and saying, you lose the hole, he looks at the kid, he looks at the player, he looks at the dad, and he says, it's good. Yeah, I mean, it was. Are lucky. you allowed to do that in match play? Yeah, you can. You can. Yeah, you can do it. There would much be anything. a post concession, which 
a lot of the people would be like, I'm sorry, you picked up the ball. I didn't give you that putt. I thought there was a rule that said you cannot agree to waive the rules no, in it's, match It's play. when you're out there, Mike, tell them. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really you and okay. the, the, yeah. the other player. Yeah, there there yeah. really are no other but players. Ha- I mean, fair enough. So that's you, character. You, you said, and you ended up losing. I, I three-putted the 18th hole to lose. Oh, yeah, wow. the one down. But To go to the uh, Masters. I mean, look, the putt was to maybe go three to feet. The, he, to his the land father, of Oz. His father was holding the pin. It was like a 50-footer. He rolled about three feet past. The problem was I was still chipping. I hadn't hit my chip yet from the deep rough. It was a par three, the 17th hole. And I said, man, it's good. And thank God I chipped it up there to like six inches. Frankly, if I had left it 10 feet short, I think he would have given it to me. That's cool. Because, that it, cool. you know, I, I hope he would have. So his yeah. dad picked up the three-footer assuming it was good, but you had not yet said so. That's right. Okay. And I wouldn't have given it to him. There's no way I would have given it to right. him. He's still in the rough chipping to right. try to make par. Right. So right. it was it's but, amazing. But once he did it, I mean. So it's a gentleman's game. And you're in the gentleman's circuit now being at the high level of amateur events. And you play in events that have names attached to them that you have to be really kind of a nerdy golf fanatic to know about things like the Crump Cup at Pine Valley. So we, we kind of refer to it in tongue-in-cheek as the cocktail tour, cocktail circuit. But we, we get to play, and, you know, again, great, great time as a professional. Played for 10 years all over the world. Played in Europe and four years on the web.com and then three on the tour. But the, the golf courses that I get to play now as a mid-amateur or an amateur it's incredible. So we play the Crump Cup at Pine Valley. We play the Coleman Invitational Which Mike at has won three times, the Crump Cup. Go ahead. Yeah, we play the, we play the Coleman Invitational at Seminole. Oh I actually God. did win that one a couple years ago, too. <laughs> we play the George Thomas at L.A. Country Club. Okay. The, the singles matches at National. Okay. The Travis over at um, Garden City. Yeah, see these, like I said, they're all names attached to it. Uh, yeah. Now, now you're knowing the, what was the now one? you know you're in the elite amateur circuit, you know. You, these, these tournaments, you're like, I've never heard of that. What is it? And, and don't are, worry, these, you're these not are, good enough to get in. They these just are, had one at, uh, at Wingfoot. What's that that's one That's the Anderson. That's the a Anderson. two-man four-ball event. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's certainly a life of privilege to be able to play these golf courses in a tournament format. And who organizes them? They, these these tournaments have been going on. The, the Crump Cup at Pine Valley has been going on for 100 years. Francis, we met, won it in, the, in 1924 wow. or something. So it's organized by members of these high-end clubs with good players, and they say, let's invite this guy, this guy, and this guy and compete. It's a way for you guys to compete. It's like pick right. up basketball for ex-NBA players, yeah. and, but and, in golf. And, and let me just tell you, the, the level of competition at these really elite-level mid-amateur events is high. Oh, yeah. You know, it's Stuart Hagestad and and Scott Harvey, and guys that have Gene played Elliott. the Masters and, and, and made the cut at the Masters. Mike McCoy, He's, Gene Elliott, Jeff Knox. Yeah. Bill Glasson. Bill Glasson. I'm throwing out random tour names. No, no, these are all guys likely that, be, you yeah, know, these are all amateur career, players. Career yeah. amateurs. Career amateurs. Career amateurs. But you're not a career no, amateur. But there's a, there's a lot you're, of reinstated professionals. You're I was a guy a, who made the show, yeah. like Crash Davis. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's really cool. It is really cool. and Hey, everybody here who's played Pine Valley, one of the m- most difficult-to-get-on, exclusive, magical places in all the globe. Raise your hand. <laughs> <laughs> oh! Mike, oh, four for four! Uh, wow! Uh, one other thing. Mike has won the club championship, I believe, four times at Pine Valley. Yeah. And including, he made a hole in one last year when he won it. Was it last wow, year? It was two years ago, didn't? But uh, <laughs> here, here, two years ago, Roddy. Roddy, quick, real quick, tell tell him when you and I played there, and uh, how we got there. We got there. Brian Ferris. He knows Brian. Yeah. We played actually with the guy that Brian was 
invited to play with us was a Duke, former Duke. Uh, Member at I, Marion, who in, yeah, extended the buddy. invite. We still haven't taken advantage of it. Maybe I can't, I can't remember, but you knew him. You're like, oh, my God. So uh, we got invited through. Brian Ferris listened to my show in Atlanta when it was on nationally and reached out to me hmm. and said Pine Valley, and I nearly fainted when I opened the email. And then I found out he was really for real, said, yeah, come on up. And he said, bring a friend. And wow. I said, you've got to be kidding me. So Ron got the call because I always want to bring my best player and my best ambassador, and Ron fits the bill on both of those. And let me tell you, it was more magical, Ron, than I could have imagined. It was spectacular. And, of course, Brian Ferris now is the chairman of the board, co-chairman with Heidi Uberoth out at uh, Pebble Beach because his father was Dick Ferris, who owned, who bought Pebble along with yeah. Uberoth and Eastwood. So wonderful guy, hilarious, total character good player played in the senior open a couple years ago mike there's one thing before we go to break i have to ask you about last or two years ago at the new jersey state open where you have finished runner-up you grew up in new jersey you're a new jersey kid covid going in the last day you're one behind i think and because you had traveled to virginia within the last two weeks they made you wd although you said i'm not wd'ing you can dq me yeah he's always wanted to win the new jersey open so they DQ'd you just because you traveled? Well, I, I'm from, from here. You're from, from here. here. So we, were, we were deemed a high-risk Do you mind state. talking about this? We've yeah, we no, got to go to break here, yeah. so do it quick. 30-second shot. Yeah, play. so I, I, I finished my second round, three rounds of stroke play. Finished the second round. I'm leading the tournament when I left the golf course. I get a phone call 30 minutes later from the director of the New Jersey State Golf Association. Governor Murphy has just put Virginia on the do not fly, you know, oh the quarantine God. list. You're out. I said, what do you mean I'm out? You want me to go get tested? He said, you're out. Wow. And so I, I had to withdraw and, and hit the road. Yeah. Oh, they, you made them DQ you, not withdraw. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Outrageous. All right. Coming back, uh, we'll have one last segment. A rare rebuke of Rory from the biggest stan of Rory on the show? Maybe. Stay tuned. You are listening to The Capital Golf Gang. Four guys who all carry a perfect club, an alien wedge, a double-sided chipper, and a 20-foot ball retriever. You are listening to The Capital Golf Gang. Four guys who only care about one trajectory on their irons. Airborne. We're back. Zabe here, Ron Thomas, Buddy Christensen, and Michael Muir, former University uh, Duke University Division I player, former tour player, and now on the cocktail circuit. We've been enjoying his various stories. Ron, how you been? You've been down to Pinehurst playing quite a bit. I have, yeah. I played in the Virginia uh, State Senior Amateur down in Birdwood, 77-71. Missed match play by thirty or by two. And then I went down and played in the Pinehurst Club Championship and got my butt handed to me by uh, course number two and course number four. I shot a lot. Yeah, that doesn't matter. I, you I, were down there. You were in the fray. I had a blast. That's how it works. Buddy, uh, you, had a, you had a big month here in August at Golfdom. People still coming in? Yeah, they're coming in or getting prepared for the best time of year to play. Oh, yeah. I'm uh, looking forward to playing a lot of golf myself in September, October, and even November. And, Michael, what do you do schedule-wise in terms of your playing? Do you go all year round? Do you go where it's warm in the winter? I, I pick my spots. I play four or five tournaments if I'm lucky. Um, the Crump Cup is coming up in late September, so I'll play that. The Mid-Amateur is the following week at, at Sankety Head in Nantucket. 
and then uh, you know work around kids' sports. Buddy, I got a bone to pick with you, by the way, while we're on it. Sure. Uh, there's <laughs> there's go. an old staff bag when you walk in here with my name on it. Yep. And uh, it's pretty cool that it's still in here, but it's it's holding umbrellas. I mean, it's like over in the corner. Hey, do you know how like, much margin? I don't even think you sell those umbrellas. They're just like <laughs> old him, umbrellas. Tell them what back. Tell them what Backstrom Nick, said. Nick Backstrom, Hall of Fame center for the Washington Capitals. Yeah, who's in here a lot, right, buddy? As many Capitals are. Not not during the season. He's working yeah. hard on winning another well, uh, cup. But yes, in the off season, these yeah, guys come absolutely. in. Absolutely. Okay. And 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 Backy says to you, Muir. He says, Mike, I see your bag over here, but stuff full of umbrellas over in the corner. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's where it belongs, I suppose. Hey, hey Mike, you hey, played a lot. It could have been a trash bin, hey, right, wait, buddy? It, yeah. this umbrellas is, this is, is something, at least. This is going to be discussed in our manager's meeting here this week. We'll figure <laughs> a good spot Mike, for it now. Mike, Mike, what it, Mike, you play golf with a lot of guys. Verlander, Justin Williams, uh, Backstrom, these guys. What is it that they all have in common that makes them great in what they do? Uh, at, at golf or in their no in chosen in their sport. Chosen well, I actually sport. just like playing them because those guys are good guys. Um, baseball players, particularly hockey players, but baseball players too, tend to love golf, and they love to be out there and they love to compete, and um, they're just great guys. But the, the in terms of why they're so good at golf, particularly the hockey players, I call it the hitting spot from about twenty inches before the ball and twenty inches after the ball. They are so strong and so fast. Yeah. And, you know, their swings aren't necessarily all great, but, man, are they fast through that hitting zone. Baseball players, too. Yeah. They can just kill it. All right. So, last week, uh, to start the playoffs, uh, Liberty National. By the way, Tony Finau wins probably the most likable guy on tour, right, Tony Finau? What they uh, all I, say. I would, and uh, a tremendous player who just has come really close a lot, which, hey, it's hard out there to win. Great to see him win. I think there's great things still in his future at 31 years it's old. His second win, right? Second win, yes. Yep. Okay, but at a big event. The first one was the Puerto Rico Open, I believe. Gotcha. So this is this is a big win to start the playoffs. Uh, Rory McIlroy, at one point at Liberty National, was so frustrated with his three wood, he just threw it over the fence into the woods, and then joked on Monday when he came to Caves Valley. Oh, by the way, there's a three wood somewhere in the woods near the Jersey Turnpike, which was technically not correct. <laughs> And if anyone wants it, they could probably go find it in there. Well, lo and behold, people that figured out Google Maps started to go to an access road near the ninth tee at Liberty National. And now they've got security up there because they don't want people jumping the fence <laughs> looking for Rory's three-wood. Now, I must say this as the biggest Rory stand there is, and I love that Irish lad. That's not, we can't be normalizing club throwing. This is bad. He needs to be tut-tutted a bit, you know? Because the kids, Ron, your son, Winston, emulates the big boys. Rory has thrown a three-iron into the lake at Doral. Trump fished it out and gave it to him the next day. He's now thrown a three-wood. Why does he get away with it just because he says it with a smile and an Irish laugh? Yeah, I'm not going to say anything because I snapped my putter over my knee at oh Pinehurst. Oh, Ronnie. Uh, on the 16th floor number four. Luckily, I had a backup putter in my bag, my long putter. I was uh, in between man. my long Come putter. see me. I have half a Buddy's stock <laughs> in my Mental office. Yeah. There's a guy, a guy that carries two putters in his bag. You know there's serious <laughs> issues going on during a round. Not like in the trunk. Seriously? He's got it in the bag. Serious question. Do you, do you let Winston see you get angry? No. You don't? No. When I'm he not. listens to this podcast, he's going to say, Papa, Papa, because he still calls you Papa. He does. You get mad, Papa? You know, Jack Nicholas, buddy, once said sternly, his dad said, if you throw another club, 
you're never playing again. And Nicholas says that's the last time he ever did it. I've got a good one. So we're playing out at Lowe's Island with this uh, really good accomplished player from from the club, Bill Musto, who's won the club championship seven or eight times. And, you know, anybody who's thrown a golf club knows that it's there's a release point, and you got to be right on. Oh, sure. <laughs> it was a par three, water left, goes to throw it, little tomahawk, sidearm, holds on a split second too long, uh-huh. five iron, whoosh, straight left into the lake. And I said, wow. I said, Billy, I see, I see two options here. You can just roll along, and I'm going to tell Charlie, your son, who at the time was about 12, and a very good golfer, and now he's, he just finished at the Naval Academy on the golf team. Yeah. Or you can go in there and fetch it out. Oh, <laughs> what you, you choose. Your choice. Well, and so he pulled, pulled down his kit, rolled out in the lake up to about waist high. We let him roll, walk around for about 10 minutes. He didn't have any luck. We said, all right, Billy, let's go. Oh, But it taught my. him a lesson. I don't think he's ever thrown a club since. Wow. Well, my. if you do throw a club or break it, Buddy, you've got a full repair yeah. service here. Yeah. We, we do, and we see plenty of them. Yeah. <laughs> buddy, Buddy, buddy is a you. big promoter of throwing and breaking clubs. <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. Hey, now, mind you, lakes, mind so. you let, lest you think I'm a prude, the average Johnny weekend, throw your clubs, I don't care. But if you're a parent of a guy, if you're a parent of a child who plays, you have to put yourself at a higher level. And tour pros, I think, need to be at a higher level. Hey, this guy to my far left, this Mr. Uh, former tour player, as he says, washed up. I say there's no washed no up. Thing. This man ran a – t- he had a temper. It ran hot. Oh, yeah. And I'll just – full transparency, I like to say that, but at the U.S. Open, Mike had a, a little mishap at Shinnecock yeah. with his putter. Buddy, you said your, your host at uh, <clears throat> Pine Valley was, was uh, Howdy Giles. Yep. So he'll tell anybody that's willing to listen to this story. So he was my walking scorer at the Shinnecock U.S. Open 1995. Number seven, that diabolical little par three where everybody puts it off the green or into the bunker. Well, I had played pretty well the first day. I think I shot 74. I was you know, in good position to make the cut second day and even par going in that hole. And I, um, I bent my putter walking from seven, a three-putted, walking from seven to eight. Bent my putter. Didn't realize at the time. How'd you, how'd you it bend on, it? Hitting it on the wood chips. You know, just okay. banging it. You know, banging Isn't it. Is it on. a bullseye? It was. A, it was an old. Uh, it was an odyssey that looked like a bullseye. That that okay. kind of uh, goldish alloy metal. Well, really no soft. You were really terrible. soft. Apparently, soft primitive metal. equipment. <laughs> As you learn. So I get to the eighth green and I I look at my putter. It's got the triangle of like a seven iron. I thought, oh, oh boy. no. I at called, I, I called Howdy over. I said, Howdy, my putter's bent. He said, How'd you do it? I think I, I think I did it there walking from the last green. He said, Are you sure? I said, howdy. <laughs> sure. You know, remember how Take I say Aoki putted like way out in front? Yeah. I said, no, it's, it's bent. He says, well, you can't use it. I said, I know. So I started putting with a wedge. I putted the last 11 holes with a, with a wedge, and it was the most embarrassing thing. And, you know, 50,000 people on 9 and 18, you know, wondering what's, what's this jerk doing. He obviously broke his putter. And, but howdy loves the story because, I, you know, I, he, I came clean and told him I had to I well, bent the putter. And, and he, he – he embellishes it like you know, like this right. huge, right. huge moral victory and of, of honesty, and which you know, I mean, I could have fudged it probably, but it no, would have been, been a stretch, style. and that's not my style. Mike, it, was, thank, it was an easy decision. Mike, so. thanks for being on the show, man. Yeah, it was yeah, great. Bad. Means a lot to us. A lot Absolutely. of fun. You guys. Are so, great. Uh, PGA Tour comes through town uh, next week. It's on to East Lake to wrap up the Tour Championship. And then we get ready for the Ryder Cup, where I just saw the build-out of the Big Iron, the uh, stadium tee box on one. So good. And I wouldn't gonna... be able to tee it up. Oh, I it's hard no to way. believe. Exactly. <laughs> All right, in the meantime, get ready to play during the best time of the year. The fall is coming. And thank you so much for listening to the Capital Golf Gang. Get out there, play some golf, and we'll see you next time. Play well.
play fast. Play worse. Play what, Ron? I don't know. Even faster. Come on, you know that. That's a Sheehan classic. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. This has been the Capital Golf Gang on the Team 980. If you'd like the gang to visit your home course, send your inquiries to Zabe at Yahoo.com. That's C-Z-A-B-E at Yahoo.com. Or visit the show page at www.theteam980.com. And for free swag, we're all an extra large. So, yeah, thanks for the shirts. 